Hi, this is Brian Matthews, author of the Forever Man series, and you're listening to the HP Lovecast. Welcome to the premiere of HP Lovecast Presents Transmissions, where we collect brief interviews by creators with new or upcoming projects. We'll open with a guest reading an excerpt from their project, and then follow up with an interview proper. Transmissions will post on the last day of each month. I am Nicholas Dyack, pop culture scholar of Peplum Films, industrial music, horror studies, and the editor of The New Peplum from McFarland. And I am Michelle Brittany, editor of James Bond in Popular Culture and the Bram Stoker-nominated Horror in Space. I write on all things pop culture with special emphasis on horror and spy genres. Nicholas and I co-edited horror literature from Gothic to Postmodern, also from McFarland. In this episode, we interview Candace Robinson, the author of Clouded by Envy, and Howard David Ingham, author of Cult Cinema, a personal exploration of sex, brainwashing, and bad religion in film and television. Our first interview is with Candace Robinson, a dark fantasy romance author of the Fairies of Oz series with Amber Ardul in Lyrics and Curses. Today, Candace will be talking about her new book, Clouded by Envy, the first entry in her Lathe book series. Brennick could not get the vision of the headless Cirilla's bodies he had seen yesterday out of his head. Their necks looked to be perfectly snapped, but when he had inched closer, he could see the outline of where the skin had been ripped, blood leaking onto their dark fur. The Jobkins had only eaten the heads and the Cirilla's torn bodies were left to rest in the damp grass as if at peace. Shaking the vision out of his thoughts, Brennick stood on a tree branch beside his sister, Brayora. He stared intently at Juna, the creature in front of them, and listened intently to what she needed to say. You two must flee while you are still able, before there is nowhere for you to hide any longer, Juna said with sweat beating against her temples. The long black horns sprouting from her forehead appeared to penetrate into Brennick's thoughts, while the shorter ones attached to her temples pointed in two different directions, as if confusing him in which way he should flee. Rayora lunged forward and flew down to wrap her arms around Juna's thick ankle. Juna, we do not want to run and hide away again. You have been like a mother to us this whole time. And what if something happens to Brennick? I, I would not be able to live with myself, she cried as her tear-stained face turned toward Brennick. He wanted Bray to be free from harm, but more than anything, he wanted himself to remain safe. Hello, Candace. Welcome to the show. It's wonderful to have you. Um, you have a brand new book, Clouded by Envy. Tell us all about it. Okay, so it's basically about, I guess, two siblings, and they're from this other world called Laith, and they have to flee it and come to our world, and it's set in 1995, and so they're basically kind of fey, but they're not immortal, and um, I don't, I don't want to give too much away, but... Um, one of, one of them, um, Brennick, uh, he's always wanted to be human, and he basically makes a deal with this uh, creature called the Stone of Desire, 
and to become human but the thing is he doesn't he also he, he becomes cursed in the process so he becomes kind of like vampire so um you know he has to do things he doesn't want to do so it's a very he's very morally gray i feel like not completely like villain just very morally gray uh candace what was the catalyst for this novel uh well i, I definitely wanted um siblings um that's why it's it's dual point of view between them and it's actually a bit dorian gray inspired so it's that um mixed with a little bit i guess dracula and fey type stuff but i, re I really really like the dorian gray like inspiration what elements of this book do you think make it uh, stand out or unique compared to other uh, novels of a similar ilk uh, well, I know there's a lot of fey books out there, but um, I don't see a lot with the Dorian Gray inspiration and vampire with the fey. So at least that I there could be, but I, I don't know. But that's what I think. And then, uh, Candace, what elements of your story are you most proud of? Ooh, okay. So I actually like a lot of well on Bray's side. Um, that's you know, the sister. I really like her story on her side because she meets this guy and she becomes really good friends with his brother who he's had to raise, you know, pretty much like as his son because their parents died. And I really like that. And then on Brennick's side, I really like, like I said, the, the moral, morally great aspect because he does a lot of stuff he doesn't want to do, but he has to because he has to have, you know, the blood to live basically and to remain young. <laughs> So while pinning the story, what was something important that you either learned or discovered while writing it? I don't know. I, I guess the, the, the most research I actually did on this one was probably the, the, the Dorian Gray aspect, um, because I, I actually did not read the book, but I've seen the movie. So I had to, you know, look how he pretty much died at the end and all that, but kind of make it new, a new spin and... You know, that's okay. You don't always have to read the original text because, you know, texts are reiterated, reimagined, become, you know, different stories for different generations. You know, there's probably a, you know, league of people out there who like Agatha Christie movies, but have never read a single Agatha Christie book. But it's still, you know, a legitimate form of, you know, research, learning, getting inspired by things. So that's totally awesome. And I think that just adds to the to the evolution of storytelling. So um, did you happen to watch uh, Penny Dreadful? Because uh, there was a Dorian Gray character in that series. Just wondered if you happened to see that. I have not. I've watched the first, I think it was the first couple episodes. I still need to finish it on Netflix because I really, I really like um, with Eva Green, right? Uh, yes. Is that how I say her name? I really, I really like her and I know I, I love her character so far, but I have not finished the series. I love her outfits. Oh, her, <laughs> the, the costuming yeah. of that show. Oh, yeah. Well, I hope you get to watch the rest of it. There is a Dorian Gray uh, character in it, oh, um, which you will probably enjoy, uh, given uh, your story. Um, and I guess, Candace, our, our last question is, what is the main thing that you want to accomplish with this story? Uh, well, I guess I just, I just want people to see, I guess, that, um, I know, like, envy is, like, one of the, um, you know, deadly sins or whatever, but, I mean, I feel like all of us are envious at one time or another. Nobody's completely perfect, 
So I guess they want, I just want, you know, them to understand, I guess, especially Brennick's character, just understand why he does the things that he does. All right. That is so cool. Well, Candace, thank you so much for popping on the show. Any last words that you want to uh, impart with us? Oh, no, I guess just, uh, you know, there are um, two sequels to this. Um, so, but the second one, you can actually sort of read as a standalone, but it's, it'd be best still to read. <laughs> you know, and what are the two sequels called? Veiled by Desire and Shadowed by Despair. And when can we expect those to be released? Uh, May 5th and May 12th. So pretty close. Well, that is so cool. We'll keep an eye out for them. Thank you so very much, Candice. And we wish you success with this new book cycle. Thank you, guys. (laughs) Welcome back to the second half of Transmissions. Howard David Ingham is the Bram Stoker-nominated author of We Don't Go Back, A Watcher's Guide to Folk Horror, and is a prolific essayist at his website, Room 207 Press. Today, he joins us to talk about his new book, Cult Cinema, a personal exploration of sex, brainwashing, and bad religion in film and television. We are afraid of people who join cults. We are afraid of their passion, their certainty and their rightness. And I think most of all, we are a little afraid of the way that people might wind up believing this stuff. Many of us know a person who seemed perfectly normal and then they joined some group, religious or political, the Scientologists or the Evangelicals or QAnon or the Jehovah's Witnesses maybe, and it swallowed their whole life. They seemed to give over their imagination, their literal souls to this. It is all they want to talk about now, all they seem to do. Their friendships shift, they adopt odd ideas, a light appears to you to have left their eyes. They have been broken somehow. They are ruined. And sometimes we think, if it got them, maybe it could have got me. It got me. Good morning, Howard. It's wonderful to see you. I hope you've been doing well. Good afternoon, Nick. It is really fantastic to see you and Michelle. Well, you have a new book that just came out last month, Cult Cinema. So please tell us all about it. Oh, well, Cult Cinema, um, a personal exploration of sects, brainwashing and bad religion in film and television, which is a bit of a mouthful. Essentially, it's a book that uses cinematic and televisual depictions of lonely sects and self-help pyramid scheme cons and pagan village conspiracies and evangelical grifters and, and, and all sorts of groups, and you know, and the big cult atrocities to shine a lens upon what happens when belief goes bad. So you have these TV shows about cults you have movies about cults and about things like gay conversion camps um, um abusive ministers that sort of thing non-sploitation and we're going i look at those and i use them in order to see how that works in the real world so i look at everything from like situation comedies like unbreakable kimmy schmidt through to 
hardcore exploitation horror movies like Martyrs and a whole bunch of stuff across the gamut to examine why people join abusive religions and weird religions and what we really mean by brainwashing because what most people think the word brainwashing means is not actually what it means and what it means also to escape a group like this and what it does to you the effects of this on a person well thank you howard that sounds very interesting um can you tell us the catalyst for this book well I was having a great deal of success with um, We Don't Go Back, which was my book about folk horror, which... Um, Stoker nominated book on yes. folk horror. Well, which is where I met you at the Bram Stoker yes. Awards, which was lovely. Um, but yes, I, I was having a lot of success with we, we Don't Go Back. And I, after a while, you start exhausting the, the, the folk horror um, well, and you start finding other things. Now, um, as someone who does actually have some experience of having been in a cult some years ago, I was very interested, at, while looking at folk horror films, I found lots of films about people in cults. Films like Martha Marcy May Marlene, um, The Passion of Darkly Noon, um, The Devils, um, all of which deal with religion. And I started to extend that first as a side project and then into a project of its own, which means this book's different to We Don't Go Back. We Don't Go Back is the sort of book you can take to the bathroom and read on the toilet. You can sort of like go, you can sort of, you know, yeah, yeah, you're having a moment. You need, need a moment on, on, on the pot. You, you sort of, you know, you just think, what, what, what does Howard think of the Wicker Man? But you know, you just dip in, find find Wicker Man on the page and dip in. Um, this 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 is a bit more directed. This this is the book. The films that I write about are arranged thematically, and there's a lot of autobiographical stuff here. There's a lot of stories about things that happens, like the time when I was a student. Um, there's a bit of a spoiler, but in the introduction, there's a story about the time when I was a student. And I wound up going to a meeting of the Toronto Blessing, which um, was this thing in the 1990s where um, Pentecostal churches across the world started having these phenomena happen where people started collapsing in hysterics and religious ecstasies and started making animal noises and all sorts of things like that. And I managed to... Um, rescue my soul in that one by going up the front as things started to get really weird and volunteering to catch people when they started toppling over <laughs> um which yeah it's a, it's it's an experience that has stayed with me for over 27 years <laughs> <laughs> i can well imagine that that's just kind of wow that that seems like a surreal experience actually I, I think I think one of the other catalysts of this project, um, and and this this goes on to the next question that you 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 asked me, which is in 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 the email beforehand, um, the elements that stand out from other projects of this kind. One of the catalysts is the fact that I've actually had a much weirder life than I thought I did. <laughs> I, I am I am the child of a spiritualist medium and a sometime ritual magician who 
in my late teens decided that what I really needed was a normal religion. So I rebelled against my parents by getting into evangelical Christianity, mm -hmm. which some might think a weird flex, but um, that's kind of it. So there's a lot of personal, and I mean, everything I write, I think if you're familiar with my writing, you know that I put a lot of myself into it. A lot of my writing is actually, um, well, it's cheaper than therapy, frankly. <laughs> and I found myself actually looking over the experiences that I had had in more than one um, living world religion um, growing up and into my 20s. And more than one variety of each of these world religions in, in my 20s and 30s as I went on. And to go from pillar to post like this, you, it leaves its marks, honestly. Well, on the subject of, you know, the unique attributes of this book, uh, so there is that personal stamp from you, but what else would you say is, you know, uh, makes this uh, book stand out from others of a similar ilk? Well, I don't think there are any books like it, to be honest. I don't think there are books that essentially um, examine the phenomenon of religious belief and religious conversion and abusive religion through using television as an access point, using film as an access point. I don't think any other book does this, or at least there's not one that I know of. I think it's something that's relevant right now as well. You think about the prevalence of QAnon and the way in which the evangelical movement in America particularly is metastasized into something that's kind of um, insurrectionist adjacent, then, you know, you find these things entering the public sphere. And I don't think anybody's actually gone, oh, I saw a movie like that. I wonder how that makes me feel about it. Because, you know, some of these movies I go at, this is exactly what it's like. Some of these movies I go, this is not what it's like. Mm -hmm. But both times you're able to go, how is it not what it's like? How do people not work like this? How do people work like this? Um, so I, I think there's only one movie in the book that I absolutely, absolutely despised, um, really. But you're able to go, this is not how it goes. This is how it goes. This. And then some of these movies are, of course, based on real stories. There's a big, long section about the great cult atrocities, which is the other thing, because anytime anybody mentions a cult, who, who, what's, the, what's the first cult you think of when somebody mentions a cult? I'm thinking of... Uh, Branch uh, Davidian? Oh, yeah, yeah I'm thinking like uh, Waco, Texas. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think. Jim Jones in Guyana. Those yeah. yeah, so Waco, Guyana. And you might think Manson as well. Oh, true. Mm -hmm. Because particularly around 2019 in the 50th anniversary of the Tate-LaBianca murders, mm -hmm. um, a lot of people thought what the world needs now is another movie about Charles Manson. Oh, Hail Bob, another cult. Hail Bob. The Heaven's Gate folk. Oh, okay. Yeah, the Heaven's Gate folk. You might think of Om Shikirio mm -hmm. in Japan as well. But they're great cult atrocities. And so I have this big section where I look at films that approach Heaven's Gate. Um, 
Manson. There are lots of films about Manson. I don't look at all of them. Um, there's a film. There's a film that does Jim Jones. There's you know and these things, and then there's American Horror Story Cult, the seventh season of American Horror Story, which does all of them, and they're all played by Evan Peters. No. Is he a, an actor that continues through the entire series? Because I know they've reused their actors. Yeah, Evan Peters is one of, I think I think him and Sarah Paulson are the two actors who've been in more okay. seasons of American Horror Story than anybody else. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, um, so the fact that Jim Jones, Charles Manson, Marshall Applewhite mm-hmm. and Jesus are all played by Evan Peters in the American <laughs> Horror Story cult season is quite something also actually it's one of the seasons of american horror story that you don't need to have watched any of the others to enjoy you could just dip, dive in on that one and you're just there really i know uh here in the states uh that series is on netflix so i'll have to go back and check because i think i watched like the first and second season so yeah it only really What's the second season? Is the second season the asylum one with the nuns? It is. Mm-hmm. That's bonkers. That one. The third season is where it really gets good. Okay. That's the um the coven season. Oh yeah. And um, there's a folk horror season which is Roanoke, which is the sixth one, which gets very strange and very meta. Um, mm-hmm. I really like that one, and a lot of people don't. And Apocalypse. An eighties retro uh, season as well. Yeah, yeah. That's I think that's the ninth season. So um, obviously you mentioned earlier that this is cheaper than therapy, but what other <laughs> elements do you find um, that you're most proud of with this project? I think that I came out of this project with a book that was a lot fatter and a lot more serious than I expected. I think I learned things writing it. I think it actually has some of my best film writing in it. And it has some of my best film writing because I approach i you know i i i did a lot of background reading for this project i I learned a lot and i approach everything from why bob dylan isn't very good live anymore all the way through to the evangelical doctrine of penal substitutionary atonement and i think bob dylan really isn't very good live anymore i saw him a few years ago it 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 was really depressing but anyway um just a pro tip but yeah I, I think approaching all these things and approaching disparate things getting from you know the the sitcom unbreakable kimmy schmidt through to um ken russell's bonkers movie the devils um through to midsummer i approach midsummer i um approach the hbo no not the hbo the hulu tv series the path as well which did a whole three seasons about the second generation members of a cult that was not scientology mm-hmm. um in fact at least once every season a character all, all but turns to the camera and says but we're not the scientologists um even though they've got the little electrometers and they have like audits and all sorts of stuff like that. And it's like, but you are the Scientologist, are you? You just don't want to get sued by the <laughs> Church of Scientology because that would be a miscarriage of justice. Um, that's not my joke, unfortunately. I stole that. But anyway, <clears throat> yeah. Um, yeah, you, you go through all these things. The Righteous Gemstones. Um, 
Also, um, a weird little comedy made by the people who made Napoleon Dynamite called Gentleman Broncos. I want to see that because of all the Lynn Carter homages in it. And, and Orson Scott Card references. Lots of them. Mm-hmm. Although the word Mormon is not mentioned once in the film Gentleman Broncos, everyone in that film is a Mormon, which is interesting in its own right. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I learned all sorts of things. Like, for example, apparently Utah is the American capital of affinity fraud hmm. because affinity fraud is when someone cons you out of money by pretending to be part of the same social group as you or even being part of the same social group as you. So, for example, the most famous affinity fraud in history is Bernard Madoff, who, you know, tanked the American economy in 2008 and caused the worldwide global recession but also bankrupted Holocaust survivor charities because this nice Jewish man with a surefire investments opportunity couldn't, you know, you know, in the middle of the Jewish community, you know, preyed on members of the Jewish community. In the same way, Utah, Mormons are gullible if you're a Mormon. If a Mormon thinks you're a Mormon or you are a Mormon, they will believe anything and they will give you money, right? And that's why in Utah, affinity fraud is a big deal because it happens all the time because people con Mormons and all you have to do is pretend to be a Mormon. So the book's been out for a month. It sounds really, really cool, but you know, for you, what is, what is the major thing that you wanted to accomplish with this book? You, you've kind of hinted at a couple of things. You said it's been therapeutic writing. You've said You've learned a lot of cool stuff with it, or not necessarily cool, but you know, interesting and all that. It is quite but, cool. But now that it's out there, what's the primary thing you want to accomplish with it? I think what I want to accomplish is to add to a conversation that is being had, a conversation about evangelicalism. People, we, as I, I mentioned QAnon earlier, earlier on, and um and then of course is that the, the whole thing that blew up in hollywood with um keith ranieri's nexium um cult and that sort of thing you know which, which had chloe from smallville going to jail for people trafficking um which these are conversations that are having people are afraid of cults people are afraid of losing their family to cults. You hear stories about people who have lost their dads because he got radicalized by Fox News and things like that. And of course you hear about individuals like Franklin Graham, like Jerry Falwell Jr. who literally threw the entire evangelical constituency of America under the bus because he endorsed Donald Trump because Donald Trump temporarily made made the truth about the interesting polycule he and his wife were having with the poor boy go away for a bit and yeah that did actually happen I keep you know you say it out loud you think did that actually happen that actually happened I think we spent Um, the last four years of a whole bunch of instances of no way that really, it did happen, you know, a mm-hmm. lot of stuff going on in our Trumpism and Brexit. A man with a great, a, with a grand poobah hat and face paint stood in the middle of the Capitol 
on January the 6th, I think, saying he was a shaman and that Q sent him. I think cults are in the conversation. And because they're in the conversation, I want to be part of that conversation. I want people to be able to look at the book. I, You know, it's, it's not... <clears throat> this goes outside of my normal interests in things like horror and genre fiction and fantasy and stuff and goes into more serious real-world issues. I mean, there's a lot of horror films in this because most of the films about cults are horror films, but it's not really... It's not really a book that's about horror so much as a book about something more horrible, which is the tendency of people to do some really, really weird stuff when they feel they're entitled to, to quote John Goodman in Kevin Smith's movie, Red State. Well, Howard, thanks for so, uh, so much for coming on to talk about cult cinema. Just any last final words that you want to leave us with or anything else that you want to plug or promote? Um, I'm just, just quickly, uh, you can find my work at room207press.com. You can follow me on Twitter at HowTheWoodMoves. And you can also hear me um, as one of the presenters of the podcast if, if it's fair to actually like plug some another podcast on your podcast, um, for you, sir. as the podcast Birdcast, which is the podcast dedicated to Nigel Neal and his writing um, for television and cinema, mainly. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Howard, for coming on. Thank you so much for talking about cult cinema. We wish you and its book tremendous success. We hope it, you know, it it flourishes and definitely is a very, uh, I, is the word timely? Well, I, I think that it is timely given everything that's going on. Yeah, I think it is. Well done, sir. Thank, Thank you. And that concludes this episode's final transmission. We want to say thank you to Brian Matthews, who provided the opening bumper for this episode. He's the author of The Conveyance and the co-chair of this year's virtual StokerCon being held in May. We wish him much success with StokerCon and his writing projects. In May, gather your beach towel, Mai Tais, and Cthulhu idols as we are going to explore the subgenre Tiki Horror. On episode 39 of HP Lovecast, we will discuss the short story, Blood of the Kapu Tiki, written by Eric C. Higgs. This story is included in the Valancourt Book of Horse Stories, Volume 3, collection edited by James D. Jenkins and Ryan Cagle. This episode will post on Sunday, May 2nd. And on episode 10 of HP Lovecast Presents Fragments, we'll continue our exploration of horror and tiki with a discussion of the 1959 film Cal Tiki, the Immortal Monster, an Italian black and white science fiction horror film directed by Riccardo Freda and Mario Bava. This episode will post on Sunday, May 16th. If you've enjoyed this new segment of HP Lovecast and want to share your feedback, or if you're interested in being a guest on Transmissions, please reach out to us. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Our website is hplovecast.com, and of course, you can also email us at hplovecast at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us by purchasing our books. We each have Amazon author pages with links to all the books that we've either edited or contributed individual essays to. 
If you feel like donating a dollar or two, we have a coffee account. A link to all this is provided in the show notes. Thank you so very much for listening.